0: People are just drowning in complexity. And I would say the next wave of software, just because hardware is so good, if they can do anything, is really just about helping people tame the complexity of you know, enterprise infrastructure.
1: This is Contributor, a podcast telling the stories behind the best open source projects and the communities that make them. I'm Eric Anderson. Well, I'm joined today by Alex Gazego, who is the CEO of Vectorized and one of the creators of Red Panda. And today we're going to talk all about Red Panda and stream processing and Alex's history. He's kind of famous in the world of streaming. Alex, thanks for coming on.
0: <laughs> thanks, Eric, for having me. Uh, yeah, I mean, where where to begin? I feel like I've been streaming for about 12 years. I was uh, first, you know, I was, I was part of this early stage uh, startup in New York called Yieldmo, where we're doing real-time streaming. And that's really sort of where I got, I mean, I, I did a little bit of streaming in, in finance before that, but that's kind of where big data and data streaming uh, kind of merged for, for me as we were trying to grow with sort of the biggest publishers in the world and the biggest advertisers. I was using Apache Storm then, and and then kind of what, what was the next step for us after that was the you know my next company, which was called Concord, and it was a distributed stream processing engine written in C++ on top of Mesos. And you know, <laughs> frankly, Kubernetes won, so <laughs> that's where the that story is going. Uh, we sold that company in, in 2016 to Akamai. still power some, some pretty big use cases there. But throughout my tenure of Concord and, and Yilma, really in the last like nine years, Uh, We couldn't find any storage engine that that would keep up with the volumes that we were trying to push at Concord. And so in 2017, I kind of took two edge computers of Akamai and I just put a a Kafka server and a Kafka client on, on two edge computers. And I measured like how fast and how much can I push for whatever for five minutes? I was just trying to understand, like, what are the breaking points? Like, what are the limits of what the software can give me? And then I wrote something in C++ using dpdk, which is a kernel bypass on the networking stack. And I was using this library in C++ called C-star. And so the super modern C++ library for doing like IO. But one of the advantages of it was that it gave me primitives to do direct memory um, addresses to the storage layer. In layman's terms, it means that you could potentially bypass the kernel on the networking side and potentially bypass well, you definitely bypass sort of the page cache in the kernel for writing to the storage side. So it's really kind of as close as you can get to the metal uh, before writing, you know, like, I don't know, maybe an NVMe controller or something like that. And so so I just measure, well, what is the gap between the the state-of-the-art and what, like, the hardware is capable of? And the first try was, was, you know, I was shocked because it was like 34x tail latency performance improvement with the first try. You know, of course, it was like a, just a prototype. It was something really, really simple. But I just wanted to understand. And so that's kind of the beginnings of that. And in 2019 we, we started Vectorize and, and the project Red Panda. Awesome. And let's have you tell us what Red Panda
1: is, just, just so we all have context. And then I have some more questions about the story you
0: just told. Yeah. So Red Panda is a drop-in replacement for, for Kafka. What we are aiming to do, we're sort of trying to advance the conversation in streaming, where I think 10 years ago, people were having to choose between safety and speed. And so you either run your streaming without like writing to disk and, and with potential data loss and whatever. And what we kind of discovered in the last few years is that hardware is so, so capable. So what happened was, though, is that, and I always tell these stories, hardware is the platform, right? Like, fundamentally, you know, <laughs> uh, software doesn't run on category theory, it runs on like the super scalar CPUs, there's like this super fast, um, you know, multi-queue and VME SSD devices. And so that's the platform, but a lot of the software that existed and exists today that is still leading in the streaming was really built for a decade old hardware, right? Where spinning disk was the main thing where the like, you know the Linux scheduler had a totally different block of scheduler and algorithm, which had an impact on, on how software behaved, on how you interacted with the with the storage devices, etc. And so, what we found is that by rewriting a new storage engine from the ground up in C++, we were able to really extract every ounce of performance of the hardware. And what it gave us was this property that you can now run workloads that are safe, so no data loss and that are just as fast. So you no longer have to choose between safety and speed. So that's kind of at the lowest level. So you could think of Red Panda as a drop-in replacement for Kafka. However, what we've stumbled upon and the way we're trying to advance the conversation with the streaming is really in in three things, which is, well, what happens when you start doing real-time streaming for fraud detection? You really need three things to turn A data stream into a data product, and it's it's not just you know sort of it's not just kind of what the standard Kafka API provides. So our observation was this: people love the Kafka API. A lot of people have a lot of difficult times running Kafka, the system, but they love the API. And here's the insight: there are millions of lines of code that were written against the Kafka API. So you could turn a product overnight because you can take Spark ML and TensorFlow and Elasticsearch, and you can just basically have a product overnight. It's it's kind of incredible. And developers love that power. They love, you know, sort of, they can just plug and play all of this, this super large ecosystem. So that's sort of the first thing to do streaming. It's like, for us, Red Panda was all about interoperability with effectively Millions of lines of code of the enterprise, right? And so, you know, one of our users, Enley, who's a subsidiary from a Snapchat, they had hundreds of thousands of lines of code written against the Kafka API. And when they plugged it into Red Panda, everything just worked. And that's a first-level experience. Then you need two more things to turn a data stream into a product, which is kind of the vision for the company. The next two things is really is unifying historical than real-time access so what happens in in production clusters and this is actually what, what I think pulsar got right is their contribution to the streaming space was the disaggregation of compute and store except the context for pulsar was yahoo and hdfs and like well you know hdfs isn't successful and s3 is successful and so most basically for most people s3 became the data lake I'm sure HDFS has some large users uh, today, but really S3, Google Cloud Storage, like they became the true disaggregation of compute and store. So when I say unifying historical and real time access, I mean the same Kafka API to access both historical data and real time data. And so what happens is, as a developer. You get Kafka up and running or Red Panda up and running great. Then what happens? Let's say the cluster crashes or, or, you know, something catastrophic happens. You need to be able to restore the data. And so that transparent tiering of a storage is sort of handled automatically by Red Panda. And we probably have maybe like 50% of the weight there. So we just have archival. We're working on like just the transparent refetch. So that's step two. The last step is our idea of what most people refer to as stored procedures for streaming. So, you know, everything I feel like invented this day, somebody thought of it in the 1970s, like everything in computer science. But stored procedures have been a thing in databases for a really long time. And the the intuition here is you save a row in your database and something, there's a piece of logic that lives in the database that will manipulate that data and write it to a different table or do something with it. But it's logic that lives in the database. So what we've done is sort of take that and modernize it using WebAssembly and say, like, oh, you can now have these stored procedures for streaming. And so the reason why that's powerful is imagine you're a food delivery company and you're trying to strip the PII information, so your social security number or maybe your credit card. I guess a food delivery company wouldn't have your social, but they would have your credit card number. You know what they want is they want to, you know, run this machine learning and these recommendation algorithms, but they don't want to run the risk of of private information leaking. And so what they do is they now ship a JavaScript, a little JavaScript snippet to the Red Panda engine. So it lives on the storage side to just do the simple filtering, enrichments. And so I, this is not meant to replace the Apache Flink or the Spark Streaming. I think it adds to the richness of the streaming. These are these one-shot functions that live in the storage engine. Anyway, so to summarize, it is really three things. We call the combination of these three things the, data, the intelligent data API. The hint is, how do you get a bunch of data streams when you turn them into data product in a way that's self-service? You're right, it defies categories a bit, which is why
1: you kind of have to elaborate on, on what exactly it is. But so Red Panda to some is, is a streaming service drop in Kafka replacement, but in many ways is much more, including those two or three
0: additional kind of modes, phases you described. What is interesting though, is streaming is evolving. And what people thought streaming, their ideas of using a streaming from a decade ago are totally different. Coming from having built Concord, the conversation six years ago, They're like, oh, how's Concord related to complex event processing? It's really sort of like basic people still hadn't moved on to the new ideas of putting these immutable events in your infrastructure as sort of the source of truth that you can then. Basically, the the paper from, from Amazon on Aurora, they said the log is the source of truth, and databases just become caches. And so that architecture of separating the log of what is happening with your business And the materialization of what ends up, whoever the consumers ends up talking to, like a SQL database or a Postgres database, is really sort of enriching the conversation in in and around streaming. And so the idea for disaster recovery and historical and unification, you know, kind of all of that concept I talked about, is because what developers want is you want to write your app. And let's say it uses a Spark ML for simplicity. It consumes data from Kafka and it pushes it to a different Kafka topic. In our case, Red Panda. That's kind of the mental model. Developers don't really care or want to have two jobs, one that consumes historical data from H, you know, S3 and, and then pushes into Kafka and does a bunch of like, that, that logic could just be handled by the storage engine. And by the way, when you do that, you also unified access control lists and security and tenancy and throughput. And so there's a lot of benefits to a storage engine giving a standard interface, a standard API that developers can program against. Got it.
1: And earlier you said, as you made these other nascent streaming efforts, the storage engine was the thing that you struggled with. And so, so Red Panda, the innovation there is largely in the storage
0: engine. Is that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Correct. So the innovation is, can we treat the Kafka API like SQL engines treat SQL? So I would say we are to we are like the the Cockroach DB to the Kafka API. Right. So Cockroach treats the Postgres API and sort of adds a bunch of very cool primitives on it, like geo-replication, follow the workload, just like some some really neat kind of things that people want out of uh, of a SQL database. Similarly, we're just treating the Kafka API as the communication layer. So all of the the Kafka ecosystem and tools. But what we gave was sort of new primitives. So one one of the fundamental differences, though, in design is that we operate in a a consistent mode. versus the, the, the Kafka alternative, which is an AP mode. So, which means we use RAF, which is a strong linearizable protocol. And so it means that the developer understands mathematically what it means to have two out of three replicas up and running or three out of five or one out of five. It doesn't matter what the combination is. There is like a well-known and an exact understanding of the state of your system. And so that is, that is so powerful because then you can build actual primitives on top of it. Then you understand, like, oh, if a node goes down, you have an exact mental model that is proven with the, with the mathematical proof. It has a design paper that is easy to understand. And because it's RAV, we sort of hook into this huge ecosystem of how to verify that the code that we wrote empirically actually delivers on those, on those claims. And so it's sort of, I think, the right foundation to build streaming systems on top of.
1: Got it. Yeah, no, you, you've you've assembled a great stack there. So you've got your your new storage engine, Raft, and then remind me. We, we did an episode recently on ScyllaDB and C Star. Remind me
0: the role C Star plays for you. I love C Star. I've been I've contributed to C Star for like four years. You know, like little patches here and there. They have done sort of this fantastic job at creating a library that allows you to build software for modern hardware. And it's really very low level, very fundamental primitives. But SysStar is, it's a future library. You can think of it like an actor framework almost. So every CPU has a thread and they don't move around. In fact, they're locked. So if you have four cores, you have four four threads, full stop. There's no, there's no other form of parallelism. If you have 96 cores, you have 96 threads, full stop. There's nothing there. It means that in order to communicate with code that is executing on a different code, you use this idea of the structural message passing. And so this explicit communication has some really kind of powerful primitives for the developer. The main one being that there is no implicit synchronization, which is kind of obvious because everything is explicit, but it forces you to write your code in a way where you worry about the program structure, so the concurrency, And you let parallelism be a free variable that is determined at runtime. So you write your code in a way that can be parallelized. right? So so the structure of your code has that kind of particular thread per core primitive for you. So you always have to think in that way. And there's only one way to do things in CSR. So it's really opinionated. But what's powerful is that then you can take the same code and scale it. Across 96 CPUs or 30 CPUs or or 14 CPUs, and the code doesn't change because you run on, on more cores. So I think it's just a powerful primitive for building system software.
1: Wonderful. You mentioned that you people start with Panda often as like a Kafka replacement, which is a, a super interesting idea, one that we've explored in other shows and seems to be a trend today, partly because of cloud and 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 partly just because it's better for users, but we're retaining the interfaces of old. As you mentioned, you know, Postgres compatibility, there's like drop-in elastic search replacements using the Elastic API, and now there's increasing number of, kind of Kafka drop-in replacements. Earlier, you mentioned Apache Pulsar. Maybe help us understand um, kind of where you fit in the, the Kafka drop-in
0: replacement world. Sure. So from a protocol perspective, we're a drop-in replacement where we improved on the state of the art was in removing the complexity of running Kafka at a scale, right? So to run Kafka, you need ZooKeeper and you need Kafka. And I understand there is a new KIP called KIP 500 that is attempting to remove ZooKeeper. However the deployment model still has the same number of fault domains. So the metadata service, which is what KIP 500 refers to, is a separate process, therefore a separate fault domain. So. It's not as though that binary was embedded into the same Kafka binary. That is not the case. So they rebranded the, the, the Zookeeper with uh, Kafka metadata quorum, and then they added some services. So there is genuine value there. But what we added onto the deployment model for users was just a single binary. So people just love that. They love the fact that you can just SCP a file around and like you have a cluster. There's like The, the ops model for us is super, super easy, and I think that's what a lot of the Generation Z developers love the most, some JavaScript developers, some Python developers, some Ruby developers, they don't want to become experts in streaming. They don't want to become experts in the JVM. They want to write code in their native programming languages and they sort of understand that. And so that's what people love about us, is is really that single binary. Now, let me give you a comparison between Pulsar, Kafka, and Red Panda. Pulsar is the system that depends on three distributed systems. It depends on Zookeeper, it depends on Bookkeeper, and it depends on, uh, I think, the front-end servers. And so the number of fault domains for Apache Pulsar is basically three, right? Like, you have three distinct uh, fault domains that can fail independently and, and have like uh, impact in your system. Kafka has two. So Kafka has Zookeeper and, of course, the Kafka Brokers. Red Panda has one. It has one binary, and we onboard the complexity of, um, of sort of, you know, and un- giving roles dynamically to servers so that there is like a, you know, you could do the same type of operations that you could do with the other streaming providers. So from an architectural perspective, we're sort of really easy to deploy and use. We mostly see Kafka in the while. We see very little pulsar, to be honest. But we have seen some Pulsar, and that's why they came to us. So there's a financial services organization in New York, and they were having issues with with Pulsar partly because they didn't understand the system. And so it's much easier to understand the system when it's a single binary than when you have three distinct distributed systems that you need to keep up in order for you to do real-time streaming. And I think you know people are just drowning in complexity. And I would say the next wave of software, just because hardware is so good, if they can do anything, it's, it's really just about helping people tame the complexity of you know, enterprise infrastructure. So hopefully that gives you kind of a hint at, at what it is. I will say though that Pulsar did, Pulsar's innovation was the disaggregation of compute and store, where they allow the storage sort of engine to scale independently of the other servers. In practice, that disaggregation for the customers that we talked to didn't turn out to be a problem because they ended up using Amazon S3 as actually the true disaggregation. So I think what ended up being more meaningful to the customers we talked to is actually transparent, um, you know, uh, tiered storage where all data just goes into S3, they have a disaster recovery, they can fetch data, They can fetch all data. It's all transparent on the user side. And so I think that cloud technologies have actually played a role in the development of streaming, which I think is an interesting angle.
1: Yeah, there's also uh, maybe something subtle in there that I feel like could be important. You mentioned that app developers don't want to worry about Zookeeper, Bookkeeper. And then you also mentioned that you have, or I saw on your website, you've got your stored procedures, you call them, are WebAssembly and... You have docs on how to do this, how to use Red Panda with Node. It feels like, you know, where others have sold to data teams or have been used by data teams, you're being perhaps used by app dev teams, or at least there's some alignment between a straightforward installation process and kind of your docs for consumption.
0: Yeah, that's actually a difference in in product philosophy to a large extent. Here's my take on this. In order for teams to be successful at building a data product, the things that they need to use have to be self-service. So the developer is the person with the most context when they're developing an application. Let me give you an example. If you're trying to do uh, fraud detection, you have your data, you have your web servers pushing data into Red Panda, And then, et cetera, what we're trying to enable is like, what are the things that the developer whose job is to create a fraud detection service for a credit card company needs to deliver that fraud detection as a service, right? Like kind of what are the tools that he needs? The first thing is it has to be self-service. And so this idea of the store procedures was really kind of a way to help a lot of developers navigate the usual data ping pong that happens in the enterprise. The example I give here is that let's say you were just doing a simple filter and an aggregation. Actually, the simplest thing is data goes into Red Panda, there's a flink job that consumes it, and then saves it onto Elasticsearch. Let's take that example. The data sort of ping pongs often between Red Panda and a stream processor and often back to Red Panda and then back to a different system and so on. So what this store procedures allows developers to do is to eliminate that data ping pong altogether. You push a store procedure to Red Panda, and then you can have that data materialized locally. So there's no network transfer. You have the same set of access control list that Kafka gives you and it's super scalable, right? Again, it's not meant to do the multi-way merges that other stream processing frameworks do like Flink or Beam or et cetera. It's meant for this one-shot transformation for this idea. Because if you ask the belly of the market, right? So the, the sophisticated companies, they have the expertise and power, but the belly of the market, (laughs) <laughs> they just consume the data into Redpanda, and then they just have a little callback that makes an RPC to Elasticsearch, and that's the majority of how people are doing streaming, or they make an RPC to Postgres to save the data on a table, or they notify something because they saw an anomaly in the data stream. So these simple use cases are really well served with this idea of stored procedures. What we did is we just modernized it, right? So, you know, in databases, didn't have WebAssembly because WebAssembly is super modern, it's still so, so nascent and young. And so what we took is uh, the V8 engine that runs in your Chrome browser. And then we shipped that with, with the binary and it allows you to make this transformation. So you could use the full node API. That's kind of the first one that we're working on. And then we're, we're also working on allowing people to have more low latency transformations in, in actually any language that compiles to WebAssembly. Does that make sense? Yeah, and 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 very exciting. I think
1: in the in the models with Zookeeper and Bookkeeper, you may have already had some experience with those systems for other distributed systems. Maybe you can convince yourself that you're, you're you're reusing skills and that you have multiple uses for for these distributed systems. But I think you know for a new app dev team looking to scale and stand something up, it's very appealing to have a single binary docs that are node centric and web
0: centric. Very exciting. And th- that was that was an accident that we discovered, <laughs> to be honest. You know, maybe I, I should I should figure out a way how to give myself credit. No, I'm kidding. We wrote this thing in C and we wanted it to be a single binary. And we just started talking to customers and they they were like, Oh, I love this, and I could, you know, get started. Can we can we add transformations? Actually, the first version of this was just an embedded Lua engine. You can look at the history of the code. And then we kind of kept iterating on it and just kind of making it more powerful and we had more feedback. And now it's sort of this full-blown engine that is stateful. Yeah, so I think it's sort of a really nice complementary technology to do real-time streaming uh, for people in a way that it's just like super easy to do. Here's what these developers love. The majority of people aren't pushing the boundaries of hardware throughput and latency. That's just a fact. The belly of the businesses are not at the Google or Facebook scales, right? And so what they want is one system less to manage. They don't want to manage another Flink deployment. They don't want to manage another Kafka Streams deployment, which is a separate set of services. They don't want to manage a Spark streaming. They just want something simple for the simple things that they're doing, which is make an RPC to Elasticsearch or save the data to, to a database. Like I think these simple things should just be easy. And, and we're just uh, enabling people to do what they want. Awesome.
1: One topic for you. I don't know if you have much to say on this. We've been talking a bit about... Kafka, and Pulsar, which are both in the Apache Foundation. And that used to be the norm. Increasingly, we're seeing fewer open source projects jump into foundations. How have you thought about governance, licensing, and whether there's a role for a foundation?
0: Yeah, that's that's a, a really great question and, and very hard. I spent two years thinking about this. When I started the company, I met with a Cloud VP. And I was still in person, which I still find a little bit cheeky for what it's worth that they said if you open source this with a permissive license i will take your product and run it and i was scared and i didn't open source it until i had a clear idea of how to monetize the company monetizing infrastructure is really hard and you know of course we want to pay developers well and and do all that so how do we create a sustainable business Build an infrastructure and i think you can i think cockroach is, an, is a great example of it they just did a around at like two point something billion dollar valuation and what I think is is a good compromise is uh the and I spoke with, you know, I, I wrote a blog post that, you know, you kind of see I was really well mentored in this decision. And I feel fortunate. So everyone that helped me along the way, thank you for, for taking that hour that, that you did take speaking with me. So I, I was lucky in that I got to learn from kind of open source. And just one thing is open source and the relationship between projects and the cloud vendors is really. Fundamentally different from what it was, whatever, 30 years ago when the open source movement started. So, we couldn't open source the technology with a permissive license. So, we chose a source available license, which is the same as BSL. Sorry, it's the same as Cockroach. The name of the license is BSL, where it says that we are the only company that is allowed to have a Red Panda as a service. And otherwise, you know, people could go ham. They could just go, you know, embed it. They can make money. They could put it in the product. If you're an ad tech, you don't have to pay us, you know. And so that's where we see the revenue for us. is really on our cloud. And the reason for that is that the cloud allows infrastructure companies to monetize every part of the stack. The free, the paid, the commercial, the enterprise features, everything about the product could be monetized in the cloud. Maybe a little bit, you know. but you still can monetize a little bit of that. It's better than zero. And so for us, we're really just trying to focus on the next stage of the company for us is the cloud. But maybe that was a long-winded answer to say that we couldn't have open source the technology with a permissive license. And so we chose a balance where in four years, uh, which we need to update uh, some of the licensing terms uh, to on the project, it'll become Apache 2 but no one wants to run 4 year old software so it's sort of i think in my opinion it strikes a balance between you know letting people modify letting people learn letting people play with the technology see the code there's like no secrets you know we want to tell the world what we're working on what we're building it's exciting we're making a lot of progress and to my extent for example we have the one of the most scalable raft implementations in the world and so so we want to be part of that community, and we want people to contribute as well. But we also need to make sure that we can pay the bills. <laughs> so that's what we thought was a reasonable compromise. And, you know, some people will disagree with us, and, and that's fine. And that's kind of what, what I feel comfortable with, and, and ultimately that's kind of how decisions are made. Awesome. And I, I'm
1: excited that I think we may get more and better code available to developers and, and users under source-available licenses that we would under open source licenses in part because they have means to make sustainable businesses from them. I think we all may win. Right.
0: And, and you know, the alternative for us was to stay closed source. Like we were closed source. We just open source eight weeks ago. Sorry, made it source available for for whoever is listening in. I'm well aware of the differences. But <laughs> so I think that was the alternative. And I think it's better to have that. And, you know, in four years or whenever it'll become Apache too. And so In my opinion, I think it's a really good compromise there.
1: Awesome. Alex, as we wrap up here, tell us where the project's headed in the future. You know, what are the plans? What does 2021 look like? Yeah.
0: The base of the product is just really kind of started to settle. Like we had two years where we were just uh, heads down building and, and engineering and testing and making sure that we didn't lose data, that it sort of delivered on the promise. Because as an engineer, I can tell you that when you try something and it doesn't work, it sucks. And you're just like, oh man, like you sort of let me down with this thing. So when we released the software, the, fr- the thing we cared the most about was not losing data. And so we spent a ton of time testing Raft and, and you know, injecting faults and whatever. The next stage for us is actually to push the boundary on streaming and, and sort of at the algorithmic level. Let me give you two examples. One of them is proactive saturation detection. So what happens is when you have a cluster that is large and you allocate some partitions to a subset of the machines. Let's say you have 10 machines and three of them happen to be overloaded. But from the controller perspective, they have an even balance. It just happens to be that at 10 in the morning, those three computers get hammered for whatever reason, like maybe it's a product hunt or or something like that, and they just get hammered. And so, what we're starting to do is like, how do we proactively heal the cluster? So one of the ways is that we we want to start to detect CPU saturation, disk saturation, network saturation, and start to shift around data in the cluster in a, in a safe way, right? So like we still have to give the same guarantees of no data loss with Raft. So sort of, you know, really being truly autonomous and hands-off, There should be no reason why anyone should log into a cluster, either Red Panda or Kafka or Pulsar, it doesn't matter what it is, and do this idea of like partition rebalancing. Like you should just give the engine goals and you're like, I want this kind of data distribution. I want this kind of latency. I want this kind of throughput. And the system has more information than the human could possibly imagine. Of course, we allow out-of-band hatches. And so to summarize, the direction of the product this year is the first step is like, okay, let's get compatibility, let's do let's advance the conversation in streaming with being able to run safe and fast workloads, let's do unification of historical, let's do store procedures. Those are just features that are just required for the product to work in the enterprise. And so now we it's really exciting because we get to work on like, well, now that we're here, where do we want to go next? And I think where we want to go next is be this autonomous type of infrastructure for real time streaming.
1: Very exciting. And for listeners who were kind of excited about this, how can they kind of try out red Panda or get involved?
0: Yeah, so try now. It's um, we built a reproducible package. So the binaries that you get from just vectorize.io uh, are fantastic. We can we actually compile the compiler to compile the libraries to compile red panda. And so, just go to you know vectars.io. You could try it on on Docker. You could try it on like Debian and RPMs and and Fedora and all of that. That's just like free for you to download and use. There's no restrictions on anything. And so you could use all of the features. And then you know you can reach us out on, on Twitter. There's we have a Slack community that is growing. So if you try the product and you have questions. Just join the Slack. I'm there all the time. The engineers are there all the time. We can just answer questions and we're trying to grow. So we'd love to have you be part of the community if you're listening to this.
1: Awesome. Alex, thanks for taking the time today. Uh, as an aside, it's been fun to kind of follow your career. Some When I was at Google working on Dataflow, we we interact together on streaming and great to see you still at it and all the, all the progress that Red Panda Project's
0: making. Thanks for having me here, Eric.
1: find today's show notes and past episodes at contributor.fyi. Until next time, I'm Eric Anderson, and this has been
0: Contributor.